So our topic this, this evening is a topic that's pretty near and dear to my heart that I've dealt with. I would say most people have dealt with, but I, I have, I have studied fear in many ways and, and faith and probably preached the subject like many preachers that are here. Um, and, and the one that fills this pulpit has preached about faith and preached about fear because it's a real thing that we deal with every single day. And in my humble opinion, I personally believe that it is actually the devil's greatest weapon against the church, is he grips people with fear. If you read your Bibles and look through time, it's fear that caused people to make decisions that they normally wouldn't make in certain circumstances. It was fear that either will push somebody to to make a bad decision and it will cause them to freeze and not make the right decision. Fear is a very real thing, but I can tell you what, it's not something that God hands out. God does not press fear on us. God does not push fear on us, but God will allow us to be in situations where we have to confront it and battle it. And the way to battle fear is through faith. I really believe that where there is a, there is a strong presence of fear, there's likely not a strong presence of faith, but where there's a place where there's a strong presence of faith, I will tell you there's not going to be a a strong presence of fear because faith will always overcome fear. Our scripture scripture reference we'll get to in a second here. You'll find in your handout is 2 Timothy 1 and 7. But my goal that we have, I want us to have together as a church, is this subject we're touching on, faith over fear, is, is we're going to dive into some stuff. And at the end of it, I want us to walk away with the revelation that's deeper than what you already have. And then also some practicalities and how to take the lesson and do something with it. Because it's, some, it's one thing to hear the word, but there's another thing to be a doer of the word. Amen? So our thesis that I, I've, I've prayed about and, 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 and we'll get to in a biblical sense, but the thesis I've come with that we're going to cover this evening and, 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 and prove and show that biblically this, this is a process that we can follow and it's a, a, a revelation that we can receive. And that thesis is in order to live a life of faith over fear, we must first live a crucified life. In conjunction with this thesis, we also must come to the revelation that in order to live a crucified life, one must demonstrate complete or perfect love for God and humanity. This is a must. And what I'm, we're going to use to prove this is you're going to, we're going to look at the disciples' lives before Jesus died and the disciples' life after Jesus died. You're going to see two completely different people. Do you believe me? In your word, we're going to show you that you're going to see two different sets of people from before Jesus died to after Jesus died. But in order to get to these statements, we first must develop a working biblical definition to help us with this. And the first word that I want to uncover, and maybe you already know this, but why don't we just uncover it in a biblical sense, is the word fear. Where does fear come from? Is it of God or is its origin found in the devil himself? Well, the scripture gives us clear indication where fear comes from. If we can look at 2 Timothy 1 and 7. I'm reading from the New King James. Says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. In other translations, sound mind also is self-control. 
Here we find, biblically speaking, fear is actually described as a spirit. And if God didn't give this spirit, then where else could it come from? I don't think i got to dig very far, and I don't think we got to go too deep to know that if it didn't come from God, then it definitely came from the enemy himself. But what is fear? In the Greek, the word in this verse can be defined as timidity or intimidation, fearfulness, or even cowardice. But as you know, in the rest of Scripture, you'll find the word fear can also be translated as a respect, as an awe, as a, a terror in the aspect of is when, when they stood, the people of Israel stood at the bottom of Mount Sinai, they had fear on them because they were trembled by the presence of the Lord. It was so mighty and strong that they had a fear inside of them. But that's not the same fear we're talking about this evening. We're going to touch on the fear that this Scripture is talking about, and that's that fear of intimidation. It's meant to intimidate you. It's meant to intimidate me. It's meant to push us into cowardice. It's meant to make us fearful of what's to come in our situation. Fear is to grip us. As I mentioned earlier, I truly believe it's the greatest weapon the enemy will use. Listen, it will, the enemy will use it to keep people in darkness. He will use it to stop you from reaching your neighbor. Amen? He will use you from stopping to go pray for somebody because you're afraid that it might not work. That's the kind of fear I'm talking about this evening. I'm talking about that fear that causes you to, to lose sleep at night because your bank account isn't looking the way you want it to look. And so you're fearful that you need to take control and do something about it. Am I the only one that's ever dealt with that before? Had that kind of fear in your life to where it grips you so much you can't even sleep at night? You're fearful of your children. You're fearful of I mean, think about the pandemic. The pandemic alone should make many of us remember all the fear that was coming across everywhere, including the church. That's the kind of fear that I'm talking about this evening. The next definition we must un uncover for this lesson really is, is completely described in the Bible itself. Uh, we find the word faith in Hebrews 11 verse 1 gives us the definition very plainly. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for. The evidence of things not seen. Again, as I noted, we are after biblical definitions. And here we find faith in and of itself starts in the place of our minds. But James also tells us the rest of the definition. James chapter 2, verses 17 through 18. Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Everybody say dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. So faith is both mental and physical. The woman who touched the hem of Jesus' garment is a great example of this in a biblical sense. So if you take the, the woman in, in the garment, you find this in Matthew chapter 9. She, nobody at this time has ever just touched the clothes of Jesus and got healed. Somewhere in this woman's life, she got this idea. If I can just touch his clothing, if I can just touch his garment, I will be healed. Faith was beginning in her life, but it would not be complete until she showed up to the environment that Jesus was at, and she was willing to be bold enough to not allow her faith or her fear to overcome her. So she got down and found him at a place where if she could just touch him, and she touched him. And that's when she was made whole. 
If you look at Matthew chapter 9, verse 22, it says it like this. But Jesus turned around, and when he saw her, he said, Be of good cheer, daughter, your faith. Everybody say, my faith. Listen, Jesus has the power, but we have to do something about it. We have to step out in order to receive what Jesus has for us. And that is this example right here. Is Jesus, and you look at it, here's a, here's a free lesson for you to study in, your, in the Gospels. Look at all the healings, and a majority of them, Jesus says, your faith. Your faith did this. Yes, it was his power, but it was you having enough faith to come to me to receive that power for your healing. And that's what this woman, she, she did. She had the mental, Hebrews 11.1. 1, she had hope for something she had not seen yet, but she was going to show it by stepping out by like James says, I will show you my faith by my works. I will show you what I believe by touching the garment, by going and finding him and touching his garment. Without getting too deep in the, st- in the story, we have to also understand she was not supposed to be out in public. So you want to talk about fear gripping you, fear should have told her to stay home. But her faith was greater and her desperation was greater than her fear. Just like the lepers in, in, in the book of Kings, I think it's Second Kings, they got to the place in their life, they said, listen, if we go there and we get killed, what's it worth? We're going to die standing here anyways, so we might as well just go and see if we can get something out of that, out of the, or the, um, the Syrians where they were. Sometimes our faith takes us to a place of desperation, and that, I believe, is something God does. He will push us to that place if necessary, and we'll get to some of that. So now, as a key attribute to faith especially within the study, is the word love. This word is crucial in understanding its relationship with our thesis statement. The word love in the New Testament, which was written in Greek, has a few different variations. But the one we're going to be focusing on this evening is the word love in the agape form, which is divine love. Whenever you look up the agape love scriptures, you will find typically situations of sacrifice and of giving of oneself. I don't have time to, to, to support this, but I'll just give you some scriptures if you want to write them down to look it up. And you'll see in these scriptures, this agape love um, always was something about sacrifice, a love that led to sacrifice or giving of oneself. You'll find John 13, 35. This is not exhaustive. John 15, 9. Uh, verses 10 and 13 as well. Romans 5 and 5 and verse 8. Romans 8, 35, and verse 39. Like I said, it's not exhaustive. There's many more in there. So here is our full thesis thesis statement using these definitions. Now, I I can tend to be a deep thinker, so forgive me. But but I promise you this this is going to help you if you just take it home and, and dig into it. But in order to live a life of faith that holds its evidence in things not seen... And fulfilled within our outward actions over fear and demonic intimidation, we must live a crucified life. But to be truly crucified, we must have a divine godly love for God and others through the laying down of our lives and sacrificing our wants and desires so that God's perfect love, complete love, will be in us and cast out all intimidation from demonic forces. We are going to prove this through 
The difference, as I mentioned, in the actions of the apostles before Jesus died and after he rose again. And they were filled with the Holy Ghost. <clears throat> because it's the Holy Ghost is the biggest difference. But see, you got to understand the pre-resurrection apostles, disciples, they, they were a, a bunch of unique individuals. I've heard there's a book out there, I think John MacArthur wrote, and uh, he, he kind of goes through all the, the infirmities, their, their weaknesses, and just who they were. I think he called Peter um, the apostle with the foot-shaped mouth. He was always in a situation where he was putting his foot in his mouth. He was speaking before he should. You know, he would step out in the boat, but then he'd sink, and he would say the things he would say, and, and, and it just, he just was a, he's a hothead. But you find with the disciples, they were also very competitive. You, you'll find this in the scriptures, especially John, towards the end, when Jesus is meeting with Peter. Peter asks the question, well, what about John? What's going to happen to him? And Jesus says, don't worry about him. But if you really want to know, you're going to die a horrible death, and he's not. You really want to know the truth? There you go. We also find their competitiveness, which I always, this is where I, I kind of laugh at the scripture, not laugh at it, but laugh with it, is John the apostle, as we know, is very competitive, because when they were running to the tomb, John made sure in his, his gospel that everybody knew who got to the tomb first. He wanted everybody to know, Peter didn't get there first, I did. I made it first. They, they've always had this competitiveness. And we'll even find here, they actually even had moments where they were so callous. Luke 22 21 through 24, this is Jesus towards the end where he was about uh, literally hours before he was going to be betrayed and, and taken into the Sanhedrin. But behold, the hand of my betrayer is with me on the table. And truly the Son of Man goes as it has been determined, but woe to that man to, by whom he is betrayed. Then they begin to question within among themselves which of them it was would do this thing. Now there is also a dispute, it didn't take long, among them as to which of them would be considered the greatest. Here's Jesus talking about his death. <laughs> and these guys start getting a little worried. Well, who is it? But then it doesn't take them very long to say, well, when he's out of the way, who's going to be the greatest? Who's going to be the leader? This, this was their mindset. They, they were great men that, that did step out in life. Please don't take me different when I say the apostles were great men. They, they stepped out. They left their livelihood to follow Jesus. But they also were human as we are. And they had the tendencies, the human tendencies that we had. And fear was one of them. And we find that at the garden when he was betrayed. But, but let's look here even further. Matthew 26, verses 36 through 41. Then Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane and said to the disciples, sit here while I go and pray over there. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee. And he began to be sorrowful and deeply distressed. Now, they weren't that, he wasn't that far off. Actually, he was there with them. He's looking distressed. He's looking like he's, he's, there's something wrong with Jesus. Okay, this is our master. This is the one that, that, that turned water into wine. This is the one that calmed the storms. This is the one that, that did all the things he did, but now he looks distressed. Now, I don't know, maybe there's times before he went to a prayer time, he started acting like this, I don't know. But obviously they, there was obviously something over him that looked like there was a problem. But we read on, and then he said to them, my sorrow, or my soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. Stay here and watch with me. 
And he went a little farther and fell on his face and prayed, saying, Oh, my father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Then he came to the disciples and found them sleeping and said to Peter, What? Could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. So here he's going through this, and his disciples are just so tired, they just they can't even stay up and, and, and fight with him and, and go through the battle that he's going through. But if you continue to read in the Gospels, Jesus actually sets the precedence of what one needs to do in order to overcome fear. Because you look at it, it says he was very sorrowful even unto death. I truly believe fear is one of those things that was coming on Jesus, but it never overtook him. Because as a human, see, Jesus never ever conflicted with the will of the Father until the garden. It was the only time that his flesh got a little bit more, but not enough to sin, not enough to be not son of God and who he is. But he did wrestle with the will of God. He always flowed within the will for everything else. But when it came to the point that he got closer to the, to the cross, his, his soul became sorrowful. The weight got too much. The death thoughts started coming on. Things started pressing on him. But notice two things Jesus does. He says the very famous statement that we all know, not my will, but thine be done. He says, let this cow cup pass from me. I don't want it. My flesh, my humanity, if I can get out of it, please let me get out of it. But if that's not your will, then your will be done and not mine. But then he goes on after he kicks Peter and wakes them up and they still are sleeping. He turns back and prays and he comes back again in the Gospels and he finds them sleeping and he returns back and prays for them. So when he's at a moment that he needs their prayer, he doesn't get it. But instead he does the first thing which is right. He turns to God. And he turns his love towards God that he said in his situation, fear's not going to overcome. My faith in who he is and his perfect plan and his perfect will is going to work out. And at the same time, I'm also called here to love humanity. And I'm going to love those guys that are over there crashed out sleeping, not even caring that I'm over here. I mean, the Bible says he had great drops of blood coming from his head. I mean, the, he was under pressure. And so he does, he sets the example and the precedence of what we should do. He chooses his focus on God and others. Fear was pressing on him. But his love for the Father and others pushed, him, pushed his will aside. He never gave in. Instead, he chose his cross. But also note, this is kind of on the side, kind of a freebie for you. I started reading, that word Gethsemane stood out a little bit more to me as I was reading him in the scripture. And it just stood out and I just started reading the definition and the word Gethsemane actually means oil press. See, note it's within the pressing that we can find our greatest anointing. Jesus was not crucified on the cross first. He was crucified in the garden first. It's in the garden where he struggled with this human conflict with the divine will of his father. But we will find his love for God and humanity was greater than his life and his human will. Therefore, it's within this passage that makes that very well-noticed statement, not mine, but not my will be done, but thine. There are times in our life 
for us to receive our greatest anointing. But sometimes we have to go through our greatest pressing for us to ever receive the greatest anointing. This was the climax of Jesus' anointed life on earth in the flesh. He was facing his greatest anointing, his greatest trial of going to the cross for all of humanity. But it was in that that he also needed his greatest pressing in the garden. Because oil is noted as the spirit. Oil is noted as anointing. And that oil was dripping on him. That oil was coming on him in that pressing that was pushing out his human will. So he can get to the place of looking towards the divine will. We've got to be at a place as a people of God that we push our wills aside. And look over the will of the father. That when he tells us go minister to that person. That our will says I'm not listening to me. I'm going to listen to him even if I look foolish. If, I, if I'm in a circus situation and it's giving, we just got through done with Mission Sunday and it's a missions giving time and your will says, no, I can't give this much, but the Father's telling you to give something else. That's when we push our will aside and say, I'm going to do his will because that's what's most important. And sometimes it happens in the greatest financial turmoil that you've ever gone through. I wonder how many people can testify that in your greatest financial distress, was the times God asked you to give your greatest sacrifice. Why? Because he's pressing you. He's pressing you because he wants to anoint you. He wants to use you. He wants to use your story. He wants to use your suffering. He wants to use your situation. He wants to use it so that he can get the glory and he can reach a humanity that needs him. So Jesus in this moment, his greatest anointing, it took also the greatest pressing. Sometimes that, that pressing is to help us overcome things. And sometimes that pressing might come in the form of anxiety. It might come in the form of fear. It might come in the form of great trials and health or whatever you want to put there. But the way Jesus overcame this great pressure and to live faith over fear was crucifying himself in the garden and living through the heartbeat of love. But as we can see in this moment, Jesus' greatest friends did not possess that love like he did. But eventually, they will. They couldn't stay up and pray with Jesus when they couldn't visibly see what he was in torment and agony over. And as soon as Jesus is arrested, they all flee except one. That was Peter. Matter of fact, Peter shows himself pretty strong in that circumstance. He starts cutting off ears. He starts pulling swords and he's ready to fight. But understand me, this same Peter who walked on water and defended Jesus is the same Peter who will later deny Jesus three times. But why? Why would he go from chopping ears off and standing up for him to not even within a few hours denying him three times? What would happen in those few hours? It was the same thing that happened to Elijah after he called fire down. And had 400 prophets of Baal destroyed. Fear gripped him. The good thing about Peter though. Up to this point was. He always did rely on the Lord's power and word. To live victoriously. But as soon as he takes his eyes off of Jesus. He always falls. When he's walking on water. And he started looking down. That's when he started sinking. The Bible doesn't say that he just immediately fell. It said he started sinking. As soon as he takes his eyes off of Jesus. That's when he starts struggling. See, the issue with Peter is he was right to lean on Jesus, but he didn't truly follow Jesus in the sense of sacrifice that could cost him his life. 
Listen, it's one thing to walk on water when the water walker tells you to. It's one thing to cut off ears when you've seen that same man raise the dead. Hear me. He's fighting a battle. He's, 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 he knows he could die if he, if he fights these guys, but he also knows that Jesus can raise the dead. What are you afraid of? This guy is going to help me, and he's going to help. He's going to do everything I need him to do. But all of a sudden, that same guy that can, can raise the dead looks at Peter and says, no, we're not doing that. He says, put the knife, put the swords down. We're not, we're not doing that, Peter. We're not, we're, I'm not, there, there, there's a purpose here, and I'm not allowing you to, to stop me. See, the, what, what happens when, when, when he, he's told to put the sword away and willingly gets taken away without a fight when he normally fought? Maybe not physically, but spiritually or verbally. What happens when the one who calls the Pharisees vipers and thieves now turns and allows them to spit in his face and slap him? What happens when everything you thought was stable all of a sudden becomes unstable around you? I'm trying to put your mind into the life of Peter, of where he's at. He is washing this God, this, this Savior, this Son of God, this Messiah in his life, this Master that normally was able to stop everything at the, at the voice that he would say. But now he's doing nothing. Now that security is leaving Peter because he's relied on the power of God all his life. But he's never known the suffering. He's never known what it means to truly lay down your life. When I said again, the one that you're serving always raises life. Peter was just like the rest of the apostles. He feared for his life in the unknown. They only knew Jesus and his power and not his suffering and it scared the living daylights out of him. But what is it about? What, but what, that is what a crucified life is about. It's the power of God and wisdom to those who are saved. That's what the cross is. We can't only know Jesus in his resurrection power, we've heard this lately, but we must also know him in his sufferings. That's why Paul would be able to raise the dead in other scriptures, and then in other ones, he was almost stoned to death. That's why this same Paul would plant many churches, but he would struggle to even win his own fellow Jewish brothers to the Lord. To live a life of faith over fear, we must lose our life and become dead to it. And that is what we saw in the apostles' disciples after Jesus ascended to heaven. When he ascended, after spending the 40 days on earth, they were told to go and wait for the promise of the Father. And so they go obediently, and they wait. And I'm not getting into the speculation how many people started out the journey sitting in the temple, but we know at the end of the day about 120 were left. When the day of Pentecost fully came and they received the promise. And then after Pentecost, you see, see those very same men being brought before the very same men that they were scared of. They feared the Sanhedrin and the Pharisees. That's why they ran. But now these same men are standing there boldly proclaiming who Jesus is. They were boldly proclaiming that to how to live a life of faith over fear. Let's read in Acts chapter 4, verses 13 through 14, then we'll skip to 18 through 23. 
Now when they saw the Sanhedrin, the Pharisees, the boldness of Peter and John, and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled. (laughs) And what a testimony. And they realized that they had been with Jesus. See, they, the Sanhedrin knew that these guys ran away and they were afraid and scared. But they kind of knew they had been with Jesus because they saw the same Jesus stand up to them like they were standing up to him. With the word of God. With miracle signs and wonders. So they knew this, these guys had been with Jesus. They have spent time with him because we've seen the same front before, and that was from Jesus. And now we're seeing it with these men. And seeing the man who had been healed standing with them, they could not say nothing against it. Verse 18. So they called them and commanded them not to speak at all, nor teach in the name of Jesus. But catch this. Peter and John answered and said to them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than to God, you judge. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. So when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way of punishing them, because the people, since they all glorified God for what had been done. For the man was over 40 years old, and whom, on whom this miracle of healing had been performed. And being let go, they went to their own companions and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. See, these, these apostles were different men now. They were filled with the Holy Ghost. Romans chapter 5, verse 5 says it like this. Now hope does not disappoint because the love of God was poured, has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. See, they were living off of love. They lived by faith, but love is what, is what pushed them. Love is what caused them to say, I don't care what you say. I'm going to preach the name of Jesus and we're going to, we're going to say, we're going to tell these people about Jesus because the whole point is, is to reach these people for Jesus. They did not allow the fear of what these men could do to them to intimidate them. Instead, they allowed love and faith to push past that and trust in the power of God to overcome their situation, their circumstance. But notice how, how, they, how they said, you, you can judge us all day long, but we know we're doing the will of God. And they actually glorified God for their suffering, for their persecution. How many of us know of people personally in our life that there might be some in this place that have been overseas that might know some people like this, but most of us in here have not had anybody we personally knew that ever rejoiced over persecution. But we heard Sister Kendra Sheridan here when, when some missionaries go to some countries that sometimes it is a little hard for those people to listen to a person who has never gone through the persecution they went. It is a little different. They almost have a badge of honor that if, if you, how many times you've been thrown in jail? Oh, five times? Well, I've been thrown in jail ten times. So you try to beat that. That's what it's like to live in some places. And that's what they were glorifying because they knew that if they're, that they're, that, that if they're getting punished like that, that means they're doing the right thing. That means they're, they're getting notice from the devil himself. But we can read in the scriptures that of, of certain people, sometimes James, he died. But then we find Peter, he gets bailed out of jail. And we find other people like Paul and Silas who break out of jail. But it's through the power of God. 
Why is that? It's because we don't know what persecution is going to bring us. All we know is to keep doing the will of the Father and not allow fear to intimidate us and make us freeze. I believe that in in some countries like America, some of the reasons why fear probably grips Americans more than some countries that deal deal with violence all the time is because of our comfort. It's the fear of losing our comfort. Please trust me. I got five children. I, I, I'm not looking for a day that God's going to make me lose my job. I'm not, I'm not looking to be persecuted at a job so much that I can't work, so I can't feed my kids. I, I'm not looking for that, and I'm not saying any of us are, but we've got to get to a place that we don't allow the American mindset to trick us into looking towards the wrong direction in things. That faith has got to overcome our fear of losing comfort. Faith has got to help us overcome fear of, of, of losing things that, that we like and, and we're looking towards. I think Brother Shock has, has taught it many times. I've heard him touch on how, how retirement is it's, it's the craziest thing. Where do we get this idea of retirement? And yes, I know I'm 42 and some of you are well past my age and you're saying, Bubba, what are you talking about? You have no idea what retirement even looks like. But I do understand what he's referencing to is that we never get to a place where we just sit on the beach and just don't do anything. That's what the reference is getting to. That's not what we're ever supposed to do. What does Hebrews say that was the heroes of faith possessed? They realized they were pilgrims. And strangers in a foreign land, they never looked at their country as their country. They always looked their country and their maker was in heaven. And the maker was God and he was creating a place for them. And Jesus said, there's, there's houses I'm creating for you. There's another land we should be seeking. And this is not our land. I might be American in citizenship, but I'm not American in who I serve first. I serve Jesus first. Because he, at the end of the day, is who resurrected me, not America. And you're talking to someone that served in the army eight years. Trust me, I'm patriotic, but I'm not going to wear it on my sleeve so much that it pushes me aside that I'm I'm supposed to be a Christian first, a disciple of Jesus first, that my comforts have to get pushed aside. I can't rely on them all the time. The only way to fully conquer intimidation is to lose your life. John 15, 13 says, Greater love has no one than this than to lay down one's life for his friends. It takes love of others and God to lay down your life and rooted in that love is boldness and most importantly, the Holy Ghost. Listen, a dead man, a dead person can't be tormented. Think about this. You could point a gun at a man in a casket and threaten him all day long and they're never gonna blink. But Romans tells us that we are dead to sin and alive in Christ. Paul stated that he died daily. To die daily to Christ is love. Jesus said in order to follow him, we got to die. Dead people don't get to get up and choose their caskets. Dead people don't resurrect and say, hey, I don't like the makeup you put on me. I don't like that suit you put on me, that dress. Matter of fact, I don't like this place I'm at. Dead people don't get that choice. They're done. Everyone else that's alive gets to choose everything for the dead person. Because when you're truly dead to this world and dead to sin and dead to our reputation. Again, I believe reputation, but please understand my disclaimer with that. I'm talking about a reputation as I don't want to be known as a Christian. I don't want to be known as a Bible thumper. 
I, I don't want to be known as that, that person that always believes in miracles and it doesn't happen. No, I, I'm going to believe in that. Just, I'm going to be just like the three Hebrew brothers, Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego. If we burn, we burn. But he's still God on the throne. He's still able to pull us from the fire, but if he chooses not to, that doesn't change who he is. That's what dying daily means. God, if this is the path that you want me to go on, then so be it. Because this is the path I want to make sure I'm serving you and serving people. We must be the same as well. We have to be dead to this world. We must be willing to obey the Spirit and not argue about how we may appear. If God calls you to go pray for somebody, don't argue with him. Just go do it. If God says, talk to that gas station clerk, talk to the gas station clerk. Listen, I, I, I can tell you I only know one person in my life that I've actually ever come to church because I handed them a card, but I'm thankful I handed them that card. I might have handed out hundreds of cards before, but I will take that one person that showed up. We never know. But one tip is this, don't leave a card at a restaurant and not tip. Please, don't do that. I know, I know the pastor here will tell you the same thing. We don't be doing that. That's not what you do. I don't care how terrible their service was. We tip them anyways. If you don't, don't drop a card. You can drop, well, I won't. I won't throw any church names out there. Feeling good about ourselves is not a requirement for loving and being totally surrendered and following Jesus. The love David had for God is shown in his boldness to overcome the giant. David was known not as a strong man to the Lord, but he was known to the, to the Lord as a man who was after his very own heart. But back to Peter. Peter, see, he will receive this powerful love from the Holy Ghost when he's filled with the Spirit of God on Pentecost. This is a supernatural love that comes from God. This is why Peter and the disciples struggled before. They had a love for God, but not that agape or godly love. It was more of a feely, emotional, and human love. And so we find in the history pages that great stories of Peter refusing to be crucified the same way that his Savior was. History records that, that Peter requested that he was not crucified the same way that he actually was crucified upside down. And we find all of the men besides John, all the other apostles were martyred. But catch this, they were the same men. This is why I'm proving my statement is right here. They were the same men that ran in the garden. And now they be, they're martyred for what they ran from. What was different? They had the Holy Ghost. And their faith and their love for God and for people surpassed that fear that tried to come on them every time they were faced with persecution. When they were faced with it, they pressed even harder. The Bible says in, in the book of Acts that when, when God started spreading them out more, It says the gospel spread more. See, they weren't so fearful that they ran and tucked and found a house and never told anybody about Jesus. As a matter of fact, that fear pushed them to other countries. And they said, even though we're not in in, in Jerusalem anymore, in Israel, we're going to still preach the gospel because that's what God told us to do. It never stopped them. It actually pushed them to spread it out even more. The more they were persecuted, the more the, the gospel spread. 
because they were living with the Holy Ghost inside. And as like I said, Romans 5, 5 tells us that when we get the Holy Ghost, we get that love, that agape love that helped Jesus when he was in the garden and he was looking at the cross and he was looking in the flesh of what he was gonna have to go for, go, for, uh, go forth with. But that love, that godly love gripped him and said, not my will, but thine be done. And a matter of fact, I'm gonna pray for these guys that are behind me sleeping because that's what I'm dying for. Living a daily, when Paul says, I die daily, he literally meant it. The Bible says he was stoned. The Bible says he was in shipwrecks. The Bible says all these things that he would go through. He was whipped. But he still kept preaching. Why? Because he was led by a love for God and a love for people. He never allowed fear of his life to stop him from preaching the word. It never stopped him. No, he wasn't a clothesline preacher. He's a preacher that preached with love, but with conviction of truth. Look at, look at the story when, when, they, uh, when Silas and him are in jail and, and the bonds are broken. The chains are broken. The first thing he does is he sees the guard about to kill himself. Who knows, that same guard could have whipped him on the way in there. I don't know. It wouldn't be uncommon. But that same guard, he sees him about to kill himself. And he says, no, wait, wait. What was gripping him? Love. Listen, Chance, put yourself in Paul's situation. His, his chains have just been broken. What would be the first thing you're thinking of doing? I'm out of here. I'm blitzing, man. God's freed me to go preach the gospel. But before he does that, he stops and reaches for a guard that put him in there. Reaches for a man that he knows doesn't care for him. But what was gripping Paul's heart? A love for God and a love for souls. And he said, no, 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 come on. We haven't left yet. We're still here. Don't do that. Don't do that. And then he comes to him about choosing Jesus and, and following after Jesus. And then he goes to his house. <laughs> I, I don't know. I've never thought about this deep till just now. If you think about this. He, <laughs> he breaks out of jail. <laughs> okay, if you break out of jail in Terre Haute, Brother Lex isn't in here, is he? If he was, I would say, if I broke out of Terre Haute jail, I'm not going to go to the Lex's house. Come on. Is that where you're going to go when you break out of jail? You're going to go to the police officer's house? Paul breaks out of jail and goes to the same guy's house. But why? He didn't, he wasn't concerned about his life because he knew I get thrown back in jail. Jesus is going to get me back out at some point. And if I don't, I don't. We're talking about the same Paul that in Rome, or um, he was on the road to Rome, and he felt that he had to go there. And then the prophet Agabus says, the, the, he basically prophetically tells him, you're not going to make it, man. He says, if I'm going to die, then so be it. But God has told me I go, and I have to go. No matter what happens to me, I have to go. It is important that I go. i got to race on. This is supernatural love that comes from God. And so we find in history pages, like I said, the apostles, the, the very same men that ran, they're the same men that died. I would like to round this last lap by giving us some practical application to this. As I studied and prayed, I could not escape from the application towards the great influx of people that are on their way to this local assembly. Amen? And the great revival that we're hearing that's going to be upon us, that is upon us. 
There has been a stirring in my heart, I don't know about yours, these last few months for souls of this city and the surrounding area, and I just can't shake it. I do believe the principle we just uncovered here can be applied to many aspects of life and not just fear of of whatever's going on in your life, but also fear of reaching lost humanity. There is a great fulfillment in our hearts and life when we bring someone to God and see them get saved. If you've ever brought someone to Jesus and you watch them get baptized and you watch them get the Holy Ghost, you know there is nothing greater than watching that. There is something so powerful I can't even touch, I can't even touch something to it. I, I was in a world and there's things I dabbled into the world and I can tell you none of those things can compare to watching somebody's life changed in, in, for Jesus and you had a hand on that. It, it could actually become addictive where you're looking for the next person to reach. And that's what we need to happen in our church. We need that to happen where we get addicted to reaching souls. We get addicted to watching people change their life and get right with God. I was listening to a panel interview at, at a, from an old Because of the Times. And uh, it was an interview with some pastors. And one of the pastors was a man named Jerry Slayton. If you know him, he's a phenomenal church planner. And he had a heart for humanity. Some might not say Brother Slayton is the world's greatest preacher. But you can, you can never doubt the man is probably one of the world's greatest soul winners. He just loves people. And so in the panel, they were asking these pastors, a very prominent men that I look up to and I, I love to listen to. And, and they were asking them, you know, like how God deals with them and works with them and speaks to them. And and Brother Slayton said this, and it never left me, and is recent, and is still in my mind. He said, God talks to me about people. Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost. He just talks to me about people. He just talks to me about souls. He just talks to me about a broken world that needs the gospel. He just talks about my neighbor that needs Jesus. He talks to me about that person I passed on the road that needs God in his life. If God just talks to me about people. That's all he talks to me about because that's what's on God's heart is people. You want to get close to God, get close to people. You want to get close to God, get close to people and reaching them for Jesus. And you'll get close to God because you'll start feeling the heartbeat of God like I feel it right now. Where you're just sold out to just wanting to reach souls and love on people. We can literally sum up the Bible on these two things. And Jesus actually said this. And that is the law hangs on two things. And I'm going to paraphrase it. Love of God and love of people. The whole law rests upon your treatment of your neighbor and your treatment towards God. That is really it. That is the sum of the whole thing. We could take all the Bible college classes we want. And I know IBC is a good school and they're right up the road. I understand that. But listen, there's nothing deep about it. Love God, love people. That really is all you need in a Bible. And you don't even need to know all this. Just love God and love people, and God will show you what to show them in here. God will show you. Listen, when I, when I first started teaching Bible studies, I taught it to my cousin, and I blew it. You talk about mistakes? It was probably the world's worst Bible study ever taught. But it's where I started learning. And I went into another Bible study, and I went into another. And half the time, I had no idea how to answer their questions. But I always told him, because my pastor taught me, he says, he says, you just go teach. If they have a question, you say, I'll get back to you. And you write the question down. And you get back to them. 
And that's what I did. And I just taught Bible studies after Bible studies after Bible studies. Listen, we all can teach the word of God. Pastor even has in his communique, we all don't have to be Bible study teachers, but God has called us all to reach souls. We all can still quote some scripture. We all could quote, God loves you and he wants to help you. You don't need to know much deeper things than that. That God's going to help the person that he puts in your life. I've got to race on. Perfect or complete love is grounded in these two things. Here's your Bible. 1 John 4, 17 through 21. Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love. Everybody say perfect love. Say complete love. That's what that word means. Cast out fear, because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love or complete We love him because he first loved us. And if someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God who has not seen? And this commandment we have from him, that he who loves God must love his brother also. Please don't get stuck on the brother part of that scripture. Do your homework. Read it in the Greek. That word brother can mean other things. It's an elastic word in the scripture. It also could just mean humanity in and of itself. So when it's saying love your brother, it's not just talking about, and this is, is just as important, your brother that sits in this house, your sister that sits in this house. But John is also referencing to the brother that sits next, or that lives next door to you. The brother that works at, the, at, your, at your employment place. The, the brother that, that wherever you go, that gas station clerk is your brother. It's humanity. And if we can't love humanity, then we don't got the love of God inside of us. We must get beyond ourselves, and I'm speaking to this guy just as much as any of us. I seriously wish there was an easier way to say that but, and kinder, but there's just not. We've got to get over ourselves. Please know I feel that I'm talking to friends and family, and my goal is not to guilt us, but instead is to inspire and burden us for the loss. I believe with the Wednesday night crowd that I'm safe to say all of us want to see people saved. However, there are things that get in the way of that. And this principle is a key to help us overcome those things. We must get to a place where we are in anguish for lost humanity. There are people in your neighborhood and my neighborhood that are going to hell. Can I say that plainly? They're going to hell. There's people in some of our families that are going to hell. There's people in our job sites that are going to hell. We've got to be gripped that the persons, that the 50 cars you drive by on your way home, that there's a good majority of them that are likely going to hell. And we've got to be gripped by that and allow that to drive us to be constantly mindful of a lost and dying world and not allow our fears to get in the way of our faith and our love. A crucified life will never allow that, fa- that fear to overcome. I personally believe in my hearts and hearts. As I mentioned before, that's why the enemy uses fear. Because he knows if he can keep us afraid and scared to reach somebody, then we'll never reach the world. And he will win the cause. Because his cause is won by pulling the most people he can pull away from God's heart. That is his goal at the end of the day, folks. He hates us and he hates God. And he hates anything God loves. 
So his mission is to take as many as he can with them because the devil's mindset is to try to put a dagger. He knows the only way he can get to God is by getting to people. And if he could take more with him, he knows that God is not happy with that. The Bible says that God's will is that no man shall perish. He wants everyone saved. But as we all know, the path is narrow. and Not many find that narrow path. But we allow this fear of rejection, fear of harm, fear of losing our jobs, fear of losing friends, fear of losing family relationships, fear of just looking stupid, and the list goes on. We must allow faith, our faith of evidence of things not seen yet and fulfilled within our outward actions over fear and demonic intimidation to be focused on souls being saved. I don't know many things in life more rewarding than watching a soul saved. Worship in the Spirit has a similar effect as the addiction of reaching the lost. That's why you find it common that soul winners are also worshipers. They flow because there's a love of God in them and a love for people. And it brings a fulfillment that cannot be touched by anything this world has to offer. But like anything good in life, we have to fight to keep that flow. Listen, we're going to make mistakes and allow fear to grip us. And instead of living faith over fear, we're going to live fear over faith. But don't let it crush you. And this is, I don't have enough time. I had a couple stories I was going to reference to, but for the sake of time, I only tell one or two. But trust me, we're going to make mistakes. Listen, I was, it was only about a couple months ago, I was driving to Terre Haute. I was driving up towards, just heard my northernness in me, Terre Haute. But I was driving up to northern Terre Haute, and there was a guy on the, just walking on the road, and I just felt the Spirit said, pull over and go pray for him. But I'm like, God, I'm on my way to an appointment. So I obeyed. I turned around after I fought it for a while, and I pulled up, and I just said, hey, man, hey, bro, I just, I just felt to pull over, and I said, can I pray for you? I said, absolutely, please pray for me. And I prayed for him, and, and I wish he started speaking in tongues, and, and, and things just happened, but, but I could tell you he was touched by God to an extent, and thanked me and took my card with my number and I said, man, if you ever need anything, let me know and I just want to be here for you. And I wish I've heard, of, heard from him since, but I haven't. But I can tell you that I wish I did that all the time. It wasn't actually more recent, maybe two weeks ago, I was driving to an appointment and I saw a, a young man, he looked like a young father with a son and something just came over me, a burden just to pull over and just go pray for him and ask him, is this your son? I just, this is what I felt to do in the spirit. Is this your son, and are you a new dad? Can I pray for you? But I avoided it, because I had to get to an appointment. We're going to make mistakes, people. There's going to be times that, that we blow it, and, and we don't do it. Listen, I, I never thought that I would ever be able to reach a Muslim, and because I thought I could never relate to him. And so there's times I avoided. I didn't know what to ever say. But there's a circumstance with... There was a, this family that we were ministering to, and we were in their house, and, and I don't do this with everybody, so trust, I, this is not, do not do what I just, what I'm going to tell you, unless you know this person. So there's a guy I've been working with for a long time, he's a hardhead, gets back and forth in drugs and just wouldn't listen. He'd try, but then he'd fall, and he comes up to me, he says, Jamie, Jamie, I need you to pray for me, man. I'm going through something. I said, bro... His name's Toby. I said, Toby, I ain't praying for you until you repent. 
Okay, don't do that unless you know him. He said, okay, okay, I'll repent. And so I said, let's, let's get together. Let's, let's, I'm going to just lead you through repentance. And he said, okay. And he said, hey, mom, come on over. And I had been teaching mom Bible, so it wasn't a big deal. But they had a Muslim friend there. And I said, hey, Mahmoud, come on over. And I was like, okay, this is going to get interesting. And so I led them through the sinner's prayer. I just said simply, Jesus. And they said, Jesus. They just repeated me. I love you. I love you. Forgive me of all my sin. I just led them through, just through that simple prayer. Can I tell you, the Holy Ghost fell out in there, and the Holy Ghost fell. And when we were done praying, Toby's like, whoa, wow, that was good. <laughs> but it was later that night because we were doing a community connection. And I was outside. We were packing up, and it was dark, and, and my mood comes out. He says, hey, Jamie, can I ask you something? I said, sure. He says, I found this coin. It was just an angel on the coin. He said, I've been holding on to this for years. And lately, Jesus has been given very similar to what Sister Shalom talked about. I've been having dreams about Jesus. If you understand the Muslim culture, she shared it very plainly. You can't leave this. And that's why he comes to me in the dark, very much like Nicodemus did with Jesus. He didn't want to be known. But he came with tears in his eyes. He said, but I know I know this Jesus has got to be God. He's got to be the Messiah. And I just prayed with him right there and we talked. And he came to church for a while. But again, because of that life, because of where he's coming from, the family pulled him back. And it was an unfortunate situation. But I can tell you that there's times that I blew it. And I didn't listen to the Spirit. But there's other times that I listened. And that is what it's like to walk with God. There's going to be times, saints of God, that you wonderful, awesome people are going to miss it. And you're going to walk on. But don't let the enemy push you down so far that says you can't. He's never going to ask you to do it again. I'm going to tell you right now. You just go before God and say, God, forgive me. I know I missed it. I should have gone to that person and did this. I should have gone and done that. But forgive me. And God's going to say, it's okay. I forgive you. And the next time it's going to happen, he's going to call you again to go do it. Because God knows that we're human and we're going to make mistakes. And he knows there's a spirit of fear that comes upon us. But if we're led by love for people in God, we will live faith over that. And we can stand. As I mentioned, we could go many different roads with how to apply this, but I just kind of feel with the vein that I believe the Lord is, is leading our pastor and this, this, this church into. I said we could stand. Sorry. <laughs> is that there's times where it can be, listen, I was tell us one last quick little story. It could be as simple as bringing a gift to your neighbor. Raise your hand if you live in apartments. There's only a few people living in apartments. Can I tell you that while you're in those apartments, this is the greatest time you're going to face of reaching people? You're going to be closer to them than you can be closer if you're living in a house. People live in a house, can you say amen? Especially, which I, this is where I want to go. I want to be in the country, but especially some of us that are in the country or are spread out from people. When you're in an apartment complex, me and my wife reached more people in a, when we lived in apartment complexes than when we lived in houses. It's the, it is the God, it is the God honest truth. I'll tell you a quick story. There is a family, there was a young couple that were, you would think they were atheists. And then they, they were not married and she was having a baby. So forgive me of what we did. But we went and bought a present for him. And we put it at their door and said, it's from your neighbors, congratulations on your baby. We weren't saying that they're okay in their sin, 
But we were just trying to say that we care and we noticed something. Can I tell you, later on I baptized him and I watched her weep uncontrollably the first service she came when she watched him get baptized and she'd tell my wife and I, why am I crying? Why is this so emotional? We said it was because God is here and God is ministering to you. But I wish I could tell you I've reached all my neighbors because I haven't. I've reached coworkers. I, I, I've reached. I, I've. I've. I've reached a white supremacist before, who repented of his racism, and gave his life to God, and started loving the opposite race of him, the different races, and turned his life around and turned away from that life. But I've gone to other workplaces where I couldn't get a single person to show up to church. We just have to be willing vessels. For God to work on us and not allow fear to grip us. So this is what I want us to do. I'm going to give us a prayer that I want us to pray. It's not a, a prayer as in, in order. It's more of a pattern that I've been praying when it comes to souls. You could pray for your neighbors this way, your coworkers, family members, college people, school, whatever. This is, this is what I want us to take home and pray. If you want to write it down, I know he told you to stand. We can watch the tape again to catch it at the very end. But the first thing we're going to pray for is spiritual awakening. God, I want you to waken my neighborhood up. Let there be a spiritual awakening that is so strong and so mighty that it control, it grips them. And the second part is, God, give me favor. Give me favor in such a way that when I'm around them, that spiritual awakening is kindred with what they're feeling from me. That they almost feel that in order to receive the satisfaction of the spiritual awakening, that that person, which is you and me, I can only get it through them. And the third part of this prayer is we pray, now God, I pray that, that, that you draw them to you through that awakening. But Lord, if they're not willing to obey and listen, then make a circumstance happen in their life that pushes them to the place that they need to choose you. And then number four, the prayer of wisdom. God, give me faith, give me wisdom that when they're going through that circumstance, that I know how to talk them through it. When they're talking about this drawing in their heart, that I know how to pin that part of them. And finally, the prayer of deliverance and receptivity. That God, you deliver them from their dilemma, you deliver them from whatever's in their life, false doctrine, teaching, whatever, and you bring them to a level, this is important, you bring them to a level of receptivity to want to hear the gospel and to obey the gospel. Can we pray that? Just follow my prayer, but I want us to pray for whoever you want to pray for, your family members, your neighbors, we want to pray for this neighborhood, whatever. But I want us to pray in this closing for these five things and pray for whoever you want to pray for your life. Can we do that together? If I have every hand lifted that wants to pray with me and then lift it towards heaven. Jesus, we ask you right now, God, I ask you, the Lord, to touch my neighborhood. I pray, God, for a spiritual awakening, God, in my neighbor's lives, Lord. I pray there's something that grips them, something that awakens them at night. I pray they have dreams about you. I pray your name starts going over their mind over and over and over again. I pray there's a 
a longing in their heart for something more that they have in their life. And I pray, God, that you give me favor, that you give my family favor, God, that, Lord, when I talk to my neighbor, that, Lord, they feel that, that presence that they feel that's drawing them or awakening them. And I pray, Lord, that it draws me closer to them. And, God, I pray that in that drawing circumstance of receiving that awakening in their life, that, God, that they receive, they, they draw close to you. But, God, if they're not willing to draw close to them, then, Lord, I pray that there's circumstances that happen in their life that's going to awaken them to do something with their life. And I pray you give me wisdom, Lord, to be able to talk to them when they are going through that circumstance or when they're having questions about the drawing in their heart. And finally, God, we pray, Lord, that you deliver them from the addictions. You deliver them from the false doctrine. You deliver them from anything that grips them in their life. And, Lord, you lead them to a level of receptivity that they want to receive the gospel message, that they want to know about the death and the burial and the resurrection of you, Jesus. And they get to a place to receive the obedience of it. And they desire to repent of their sins, to be baptized in Jesus' name, and to be filled with your Holy Ghost, with the only evidence of speaking in tongues. And God, we glorify you right now, and we praise you for what you're doing in each and one of our neighborhoods right now. Hallelujah. Let's give him praise. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus.